Today's reading is from Judges chapter 4, verses 1 to 10 from the NLT. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of the wife of Labadoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. <clears throat> One day she sent for Barak, son of Abuam, who lived in Kadesh, in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. The word of the Lord. Hey, thanks, uh, Joan. I gave you all the tough words in the Bible right there. <laughs> Did well. Good morning, everyone. And uh, again, welcome, as Pastor Norb has said. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, it's an awesome day out there, and uh, summer's still here, so we're grateful for every good day that we get. Uh, so good to connect with one another. You know, when I look out there and I see you all with your masks on, I think, which bank are you going to rob today? <laughs> I got this one picked out down here, so don't go there. Uh, but so good to, uh, to be together. Thanks for coming. Um, someone has said that uh, when God is going to do something wonderful, that God often starts with a hardship. Right? When God is going to do something amazing... God often starts with an impossibility. And I want to remind us this morning, as you well know, uh, God is uh, up to something in our world these days. And it is both wonderful and amazing. And just because it seems hidden to us now doesn't mean that it won't happen. There is a timing. And there is a sovereign hand that's at work. Well, we're in the book of Judges this morning. Uh, now, that, this book is probably better handled in little sips than in a big gulp. Because there's some stuff, tough stuff in the book of Judges, if you've read it lately. I don't pretend to understand it all. What I do understand is that since the children of Israel entered the promised land, they always had to keep their dukes up because they were surrounded by influences that were ready to cut them off and loose them from their moorings. 
We love to dog sit a, a little dog called Lucy. Uh, she belongs to John and Janelle, but we get lots of opportunities to care for her. Uh, she is one of the smallest dogs on the planet. So she really has to keep her head up for other dogs and for these big people all around her. One could step back on her so easily. Or a big dog could have one bite and she would be gone. So she is always alert and she's watching because she knows that there's a lot of big people around. Well, that was the Israelites, a smallest nation group in the promised land and trying to survive. Crazy. And most of their challenges came from within. Some of them came from without. Now, as Pastor Adam mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there tends to be a cycle with the children of Israel living in this new land. And as long as their hearts are tuned into God's heart, things are well. And there's peace in the land. But when they take their eyes off God, and when they do what's right in their own eyes, the nation starts to crumble. And you see that cyclically over and over again. And you might have noticed some of that in your own life, right? When you take your eyes off of God, your life is more likely to take a dip. Uh, we let down. Uh, we put God to the side, to our peril. And sometimes God lets us go through tough times. And that's what he did for the nation of Israel. God let them go through tough times until they would repent and then change their ways. And then they would have peace once again in the land. And then it would start all over again, and they would do the same thing. But the truth is that there are many ups and downs, uh, and the book of Judges is just chock full of stories of oppression and injustice. And God wanted his little toddler, Israel, to survive in a land filled with enemies. Uh, so with their cries for mercy and help, then God would step in and he would do something wonderful, something amazing. And Israel today is still that little nation in the midst of many big giants all around them. God was protecting his children, sometimes letting them fall and experience the repercussions of their sin, and then picking them up again and uh, teaching them to be more than toddlers, but children who could walk and su survive and thrive in tough places. He did it with Gideon as we saw a couple weeks ago. Today the story is about a woman who is as tough as nails. By the way, just a little information. If you're looking for a new reality show that displays the toughness of both men and women and is done in great taste, you might want to check out the new show called Tough as Nails. Uh, has anybody seen it? Oh, there's a few people that are already on to it. They're ordinary people from all across the country. And they come in all shapes and sizes, but they're tough. Tough in different ways. Uh, and tough mentally or tough physically or tough in the ways of uh, experience in the world. But check out a woman of God this morning who is tough. She's a spiritual giant. I don't know how physically tough she was. But it's clear she was a strong leader. And she was tough mentally. She was tough in her leadership approach. 
She was willing to take on an army from the Philistines, which would have made you squirm in your seat. But she put on her commander uniform, and she organized an army, and she called out the enemy. She was tough. But let me just back up a little bit and uh, paint the picture for you of this gifted woman, this, uh, this gifted leader, this woman of God. Judges chapter 4 is our chapter this morning that Joan read for us. One judge after another gave leadership to Israel during these days of settling into the land of Canaan. The land was full of enemy kings who would occupy a territory. And at times they crossed boundary lines and they would wreak havoc on Israel. They were usually the Philistines or the Hittites or the Amorites or the Moabites, or the ites of some kind. Now, there are seven things uh, that I want to point out to you as you read this chapter. The first one is a habit. Israel had a habit. They had a habit of doing what was evil in the Lord's sight. They would do their own thing, then they would repent, and they would turn to the Lord, and before you knew it, they were back to their old ways again. And so Judges chapter 4 opens with Israel, the Israelites doing evil in the Lord's sight. And I think we all kind of understand those dips and peaks uh, in our own lives. We move along pretty well for a while in our relationship with God, and then we hit a tough spot and where we struggle, and it might be uh, a, a number of things, maybe unforgiveness. We've just participated in the Global Leadership Conference online this year. And one of the speakers, uh, who, uh, a lady who oversees a very large ministry, went through a very crushing experience uh, a year or two ago, and uh, she was deeply betrayed in her, in her life. And her issue was to get to the point where she could forgive that person because it was not only impacting her own, her own health, but it was really cutting into the depth of her ministry. And, uh, and she said, I'm just not ready. I just cannot, I just cannot forgive that person for what they did to me. And so she went to the counselor and, uh, and she, she told, she announced that to him, I cannot forgive that person. But her counselor told her, you deserve to stop suffering. And she saw it in a whole new light. If you can find forgiveness in your heart, you can stop suffering. That doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. It might. It means forgiveness to be able to go on. You deserve to stop suffering. And I like that. I, I, I want to say it to you today. If you have forg unforgiveness in your heart towards another person and you just can't forgive them, maybe you can see it from this perspective that you deserve to not suffer. You deserve to stop suffering. Unforgiveness or a specific temptation, maybe a character issue, that thing hits us again and again and we fall back into the valley and we have to start all over again. And that's Israel for so many, many years. Uh, but how often have you found yourself starting over? It's true of all of us, isn't it? Start over again. And that's a good thing that we're able to start over again. Secondly, there's an enemy. Uh, 
The major enemy at that particular time was King Jabin of Hazar, a Canaanite king. But most significantly, as you read the story, he had a, an army commander who was ruthless in his role as an enemy of Israel, and his name was Sisera. Beyond the wickedness of his heart and the hatred of the Israelites was, was his accumulation of weapons of great destruction, and one in particular, the Iron Chariot. Uh, no one up to this point in history had been able to build a chariot out of iron. And he had 900 of them. Uh, and to have 900 chariots was to be way out in front of any other nation. I'm sure they were itching for a fight. What a military advantage. It's like the race to have the best aircraft uh, in the world, to the best warship, the best submarine, the, the best missiles, the, the best tanks the top of the line. Cicero was more than proud of his chariots, all 900 of them. Their army was undefeatable. I mean, how could you stand against a chariot with two wheels with grinders on each side? Think of the movie Ben-Hur. They just mowed down the Israelites. And Cicero had been delightfully humiliating the Israelites for the last 20 years. Mark and I have just uh, uh, read a book this summer, uh, uh, called The Boy Who Followed His Father Into Auschwitz. Uh, and it's a true story of a father and son who survived the concentration camps of Auschwitz and other camps. And, and, and the author is an excellent writer who has done incredible research and describes life in the concentration camp in great detail. Imagine 350 pages and a lot of it's description in the concentration camp. But somehow he, he's able to write to hold you back from crossing into the line of despair and saying, oh, this is just too much to read. He kind of takes you so far and then he, he brings you back so that, that you'll keep reading. And I, I guess I came away with a new appreciation in my heart of peace in our land. Oh, we're so blessed when there is peace in the land and we do not know war. But also, I, I guess, a realization of how desperately cruel life can be and what people have had to go through in history. How do you survive it? Israel was not in a concentration camp, but they were oppressed. And for many around the world today, this is an oppressive time. Some movements have gained great momentum and are standing up, and this, this no longer shall take place under our watch. I mean, the death of uh, George Floyd ignited something that people have arisen and said, no more, no more, this will not happen anymore, and that is good. And the people in Lebanon rose up last week to say no more to a corrupt government, and the power of their opposition toppled a government without violence. We are, we are fighting injustice all around us these days. There is an oppression. The third word I want to give to you is a leader, that God raised up a new leader among the Israelites, and her name was Deborah. I don't read anywhere that this was abnormal. God raises up both men and women for leadership. She was a, she was a judge, and she was a prophet, and she is well known for her work under the palm of uh, Deborah, under a palm tree. 
And uh, she would sit under the palm of Deborah, and that was her office space. And people would come to her and, and ask for wisdom and judgment on disputes. So it was under the palm of Deborah that Deborah heard from God. It could be under a palm tree. could be in the quietness of your bedroom. It could be your favorite chair in the house. It could be when you go for a walk where you listen for the voice of God. But wherever it is, know that God is excited to speak to you. And he's excited to meet you and to give you his direction. And he raises up godly leaders, men and women who are tough as nails. And I, I mean that in a positive way. Uh, men and women who are called into leadership. Do we ever need you today? Do we ever need you today, leaders? Leadership to help us navigate the white caps of life and the turbulence of our world. Maybe you know the word or the term VUCA. The VUCA leadership world. V-U-C-A. It's an acronym. It was coined by the U.S. military to describe leadership after the Cold War. Because there are particular seasons and times to lead through that are more difficult than others. And I think we're in one of those seasons right now. VUCA, which means volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And boy, does that describe us today. That's our new reality. VUCA. We're living it today. The world is unstable. Things are changing. It is not predictable. Volatility. There's uncertainty. Since we haven't been this way before, the path is not certain. Turn on the television every evening and you can see the uncertainty and the fear in the eyes of people. And complexity. There is an overwhelming amount of information and there's lots of moving pieces and one decision impacts another. One decision to social distance by six feet or not impacts another person, another family. And ambiguity. In some cases, there's a lack of information. Everyone comes with a different perspective. And there is a difference of opinion as to the real issue. And do we ever need the Deborahs of life? to step up to the plate. There was a VUCA leadership crisis in the day of Deborah. But God raised up this tough leader to deal with the issues of the day. And it's amazing how her leadership impacted the spiritual climate of the children of Israel. She was an amazing leader. It's pretty exciting to think that in our day, some incredible leaders are being raised up by God to meet the challenges of this day. Parents, you may be the leaders. Or you may look in your own family. You see your kids coming up. And they may be the next leaders that are going to make a significant difference in our world. Look at your kids. Here come the leaders. Men and women who hear God and who say, Yes, Lord, whatever you need, I'm here. Fourthly, a message. God gave Deborah a message. God gave De Deborah a message. Uh, God spoke to Deborah, and she was listening. Uh, you don't have to be a prophet to hear the voice of God. It's a wonderful gift that God has made available to all of us. Deborah heard God, 
and to change the trajectory of the whole nation. It isn't weird to hear from God. He's our creator. And there's probably nothing better that he wants for us than to hear him and trust him and obey him and to be guided by him. Deborah sat under the palm tree, and not only did she settle disputes and give her wisdom to her people, but she listened to God, and she heard his voice. Fifthly, obedience. Deborah obeyed God by sending for, Bar uh, sending for Barak, who lived in Naphtali, one of the tribes of Israel, located in the north, close to the Sea of Galilee. Now, she heard from God, and she began to put God's word into some action steps. And so she calls for Barak, who was to be part of God's strategic plan. You know, when we hear God and he gives us a direction, then we need to ask him about timing. In this case, the timing seemed to be almost immediate. I'm not sure, but when I read this passage, I don't think that Barak is the commander in charge of, of the troops. I think this is a new assignment. I wondered about that. Uh, I think he's just drafted into service by God. And the message is pointed. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. So, so Deborah, this mighty woman of God, this prophet and judge, gives an order. But really, it's an order from God. And the order is to muster up 10,000 soldiers. And she says, I'm going to call out Sisera for a battle. And he's going to come at us with all he's got, including his chariots, all 900 chariots and his warriors. But don't worry, God is going to give you the victory. Now, here's where hearing God becomes a little challenging. Uh, I know Barak didn't say this, but I can imagine that he thought it. That Deborah, sure, she reaches out to me and she says, that God wants me to go into battle with 10,000 troops. And <clears throat> yeah, it, it would be really nice if I heard from God myself rather than hearing it via a third party. So kind of easy for you to say that, Deborah, but you are sending me into the battle. And I wonder, did you really hear God? Did you really? Number six is backup. Barak asked for backup. Barak said yes, but he added one condition. Deborah, you come too. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, of course, there's a lot of speculation around all of this about what, uh, how, how Barak responded. What was he thinking? And we don't know for sure. Uh, you can speculate that Barak wasn't completely convinced that God was in all of this. So, Deborah, you better be sure. And the only way I know how to determine if God's really in it is if you come alongside me and you come with me and you fight with me. On a more positive perspective, he might have thought, I need you because you're the inspiration of the nation. Everybody loves De Deborah. Everybody respects her. And so you will be the inspiration of the troops. You'll be my inspiration if you walk beside me. I will be a better me. I'll be a better me if I can go with, uh, than if I go without you. We all face our fears. Uh, no one likes to fail. We don't want to lose. And we know that it's often women in our lives who bring us tremendous encouragement. Thank you, women. Thank you for standing alongside of us. And I pray that we would do the same for you.
Barak is saying to Deborah, I can't make it without you. And what does she do? She steps in there to say, no, I'll go with you because you're going to win this. It's called the ministry of presence. And Deborah models it so well. Do you have someone in your life that, that uh, you are walking alongside of right now? And actually what they, what they need most of all is not all your answers and all your solutions, but really they need the ministry of presence. Do you think you could just step up and not walk ahead and not walk behind, but walk right beside them and be with them in their crisis? You have no idea what that means. Now, Deborah is very forthright. I love it. Very well, she replied, I will go with you. But you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera. Uh, the victory will be at the hands of a woman. <laughs> Don't you love the humanity of the Bible? Just saying, Barak, just saying, I'm happy to go with you. But when the great stories of history are told, this great victory will be recorded under the banner of a woman winning the battle. Just so you know. I mean, she said it nicely. She said it well, but she said it. Number seven, the battle begins. Now, Sisera has the word that Barak has gone up to Mount Tabor. Barak has stationed his troops at the top of Mount Tabor. I don't think I've got a picture of that, uh, but I, I, w I meant to give you one. Mount Tabor, I recall, I recall visiting Mount Tabor back in the day. And the uh, it's, it's kind of a big, round mountain, very close to the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they bring you there in these big buses. And it switchbacks all the way up to the top of Mount Tabor. And the buses can't get up there. It's too steep. So they unload you and they put you into, into cars. And they've got dozens of cars waiting for you. They zip you up to the top of the mountain. And uh, so a good military strategy would be to be at the top of the mountain and come down. And I expect that that strategy took a good many of the chariots out of play. And the hillside, if you look at it, it is heavily forested. That would take a lot of iron chariots out of play. But the major factor for the wind, for the wind was the Lord. Deborah said to Barak, Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Don't you love that picture? The Lord is marching ahead of you. The Lord is marching ahead of you. Picture that. Put that in your mind. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle, and when Barak attacked the Lord, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? How many times in Israel's history did God win the battle for his people by confusing the enemy or throwing them into a panic? And when the Lord is marching ahead of you, it doesn't take much for the Lord to thwart the plans of the enemy. And that's what he does. Marching ahead. Listen, TCC. God's marching ahead of us. He knows everything we're facing. He knows the volatility. 
He knows the uncertainty. He knows the complexity. He knows the ambiguity. He knows it all. And he's marching ahead of us in this very unpredictable time. Take these words this morning. The Lord is marching ahead of you. He's out in front. He's protecting. He's directing. He's making a way. Isn't that awesome? He's marching in front of us. He's making a way. Now, there's a lot of drama in the way this all ends with Cicero running for his life and leaving him vulnerable to jail, J-E-A-L. The army is routed by the Israelites. Imagine 10,000 soldiers rushing down from the top of Mount Tabor. The enemy is trying to come up the hill and the iron chariots can't do anything in the bush. All those trees, they're useless. And most of all, God throws this enemy in the confusion. And Sisera tries to get away and escapes to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because they were there's some kind of alliance uh, that had been made between them and the Philistines. But Jael takes the opportunity to take care of Sisera. Now there are some graphic scenes in the Bible, and this is one of them where Jael kills Sisera as he sleeps. But I want to give you, uh, in closing, uh, three reminders for us this morning from the passage that I think are important for us today. First of all, celebrate the strong leadership of women. This passage simply reminds us that God calls women to upfront leadership, to VUCA leadership for such a time as this. When I was uh, just beginning a ministry path in Edmonton uh, many years ago, one of our first hires was a husband-wife duo. He was three-quarter time, and she was one-quarter time. And we hired them as, a, as a, one person. And they were an amazing couple in leadership. Both strong leaders, but different. And yet respecting one another's leadership. Alan cheered on his wife. Denise cheered on her husband. And they complimented one another. Alan was on kind of the go-for-it kind of leader. He would take a group of kids to California in an old rickety bus. And uh, I would look at that bus and say, are you sure you want to take that bus? And he would, he would want to take it because he hoped that they would break down along the way so they could problem solve how to not only survive but, but, but thrive in a tense situation. I mean, that was Alan. Denise, on the other hand, was planning ahead, thinking through the details, very detailed very much an organizer, very much a, a visionary, and uh, oh, so different, so different. But, but both so significant in the ministry of the church. Women, we want you to le- use your leadership gifts, just like we want men to use theirs. We pro- pray that both at TCC and Southwest that you will know that you're welcome to lead. We need you in leadership. Secondly, the ministry of presence. Deborah said to Barak in verse 9, I will go with you. I will go with you. Uh, Remember Barak's response to her request, I will go, but only if you go with me. And Deborah said, I will go with you. Now that's powerful. That's often what is so helpful in keeping a leader focused and emboldened for the role that they are asked to perform. Deborah could have fired Barak right on the spot. She could have replaced him. 
She could have put his nose in the dirt. She could have said, what's wrong with you? Why just can't you step up and lead? Do what you're supposed to do or get out of the way. But she didn't do that. She came alongside of him. Man, that's good. She understood. She figured out Barak. She went with him and she got her hands dirty on the front lines. Friends, we all face our fears. And no one likes to fail. We don't want to lose. And it's often women in our lives who bring us tremendous encouragement. My wife has done that for me through all the years. She always encourages. She always supports. She always prays. I'll be praying for you. It's awesome. Thank you, women, for standing alongside of us. And I pray that we would do the same for you. The third uh, area is God is going before you. That was the word that Deborah had for Barak. Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you the victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Listen, most of us are facing some pretty big stuff as the month of August is halfway through. And we're all thinking of September. Do you feel a little angst? Our principles, our teachers, our students, our parents, we all have a lot of questions. No one has it all figured out. We have to give one another grace. We've got questions, but we're all concerned about safety. And we all want to do a good job. We don't want it to be said that something happened on our watch. So we're being very cautious. And while we try to figure it out, I'm comforted by the fact that the Lord is going ahead of us. He's ahead of us. Some of our businesses are struggling. There are people without jobs. There are families that are just trying to hold it all together. The pressure is absolutely enormous. And I put that picture in my mind. Here we are, TCC troops, in our various vocations, and we're feeling like we're in the battle. But we open our eyes to see that the Lord is ahead of his troops, and the Lord is leading us forward. And instead of us feeling like we're treading water all fall, rather we're trusting God for the most amazing and wonderful outcomes. Because it'll all be to his glory. It won't be because we did it. It'll be to his glory. So when God's going to do something wonderful, uh, God often starts with a hardship. And when God is going to do something amazing, God often starts with an impossibility. Amen. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I thank you that you go before us. I thank you that you're faithful to walk with us. Oh, we thank you this morning for the ministry of your presence, the ministry of your presence as you go with us in every situation. You march before us. We're never alone. And Lord, you have great purpose and significance for each one of our lives. Lord, we thank you today for uh, this uh, awesome story of Deborah. Thank you for raising up leaders just at the right time. And Lord, I pray that as we minister together at TCC, uh, that we would just be aware of the leadership potential that is, is within our ranks that you have put in place. And God, that you would call forth uh, uh, each one of those leaders to the area of ministry that you would so desire. We thank you this morning. 
for the privilege of being together and to look at your word and have it stretch us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen.